Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today in the show, we're going to talk about something that everyone with land needs to pay attention to. It is fixing soil pH. Oh, and by the way, uh, there are some people who will tell you, well, you can't fix your soil pH. Yes, you absolutely can fix your soil pH. So we're going to talk today about the importance of soil pH and how you can get that down to whatever your ideal level is. And that ideal level does vary depending on what crop you're going to be raising. If you've got any questions for us or if you want to talk about that or anything else that's happening on your farm, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute here. I'll just give you a couple of quick things before we do. First of all, if you've got a low pH, the way you fix it is putting lime on. Now, we'll talk about sources of lime and and what you're looking for there a little bit later in the show. But lime is how you fix low pH. How you fix high soil pH, I'll put it this way, and we say this often on the show, if your pH is like way out of whack, so it's not in the sixes or around seven, if it's, let's say, eight and a half, that tells us there's some imbalance in the soil. Whether it's sodium, magnesium, salts, something's going on in that soil that are in excess. And then there are other things that are there just simply is not enough in, in ratio, in balance. So it's adjusting those things a lot of times. Now, quite often in our region of the United States, pH goes high because drainage is poor and some of those excesses aren't able to flush out of the system and then they end up raising the pH inordinately. So we'll talk about that later in the show as well. All right, right now let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. Okay, got to get this one from uh, Tonya, who's a landowner. Just wondering, is there a resource to help determine or estimate the quality of how the next few crop seasons might be? I don't know where they're going with that. What do you mean? Just uh, to determine, I, I, I had to read it a couple of times too, just thinking about is there a way to to estimate that, oh, hey, we've got a few good crop years coming, or is there any no. indicator that's going to tell you that? No. You know, it really no. depends on where you're at. If you've got irrigation and you've got subsurface tile drainage underneath your field, you control quite a few factors. Now right. you've just got the matter of sunlight and heat, but there's just yeah, no way that, to control that. No, that too, we, we can't control. Uh, there's just a big volcanic eruption down in the Caribbean. Okay, well, if that eruption is big enough, it will seriously lower our temperature because there will be so much ash in the sky. That's what happened back in 1992 with Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines. And for over a year, it lowered the Earth's temperature by a couple of degrees. <laughs> okay, well, that's a massive change that no one was predicting. So, no, we, we, we don't know. All right. Well, thanks for the question, though. We appreciate that. I, I wish there was a way because it's it's really that's one of the biggest challenges we've got in agriculture is that 
You just have no control. Yeah, of the but weather. we got to forget about that. Control the controllables and do the best you can. Otherwise, so and when I say forget, I don't. I just mean uh, let's set that to the side. Let's worry about what we can control. You're going to drive yourself crazy if you continue to worry about things that you can't control. That's kind of how I've always looked at things. So we just have to do the best we can. Farming's going to be risky. We have to manage our risk, and then we move forward. All right, get one from Kyle, and he said, I need some advice. I want to plant a field of soybeans before corn in an attempt to get a cover crop down in the fall. Then I'm hopefully going to graze that cover crop. Now, here's the challenge. I want to put hog manure and knife it in in that field this fall. My question is, will the hog manure be too strong for the cover crop seed to no. grow? We put no. on a strong rate 5,000 gallons per acre, which is no. about 200 pounds of nitrogen. No, no problem. That's no problem at all. Oh, and let's step back a second. When you talk about planting soybeans before corn, we do not normally recommend that, number one. Number two, you got to make sure you're not going in front of the first crop insurance planting date. Otherwise, talk to your insurance agent and maybe you can get different crop insurance that would have an earlier date or something like that. And the third thing I'll throw out is if you want to have soybeans maturing earlier, just plant an earlier variety. There are a lot of really good early varieties. The genetics have improved so much in the last few years. So you can plant a little earlier bean if you would like to harvest earlier. Okay. Uh, got, got one from Seven who said, uh, lots of hoaxes out there today. I'm just wondering, don't we need more carbon, not less? Just wondering about that. And wouldn't acid rain have some positive benefits too? Yes and yes. So I, but but here's here's the whole thing. Yeah, there there are ben, definitely benefits to things like okay. Well, let's just even use the general term global warming. All right, we live in a very cold area. I, I mean, for five months out of the year, it's brutal where we live. So if the temperature warms up two degrees, and you say, look, that's the only thing that's going to change your temperature goes up two degrees, I'm going to say, yay, I, I, I want it to be warmer. Okay, but the uh, thing is, there are, there's the other side of it too. So we're not going to get into, get into that entire discussion, but I, I will talk about two specific things. One, acid rain, that used to bring us a lot of free sulfur to farms, okay? But then there was also air pollution. People were probably dying sooner because there was air pollution. So we clean up the air, there's benefit there, but we got rid of the sulfur that was in the air. That as a farmer, just simply for the crop is a little bit of a disadvantage. When we talk about the carbon, yeah, there's a lot of discussion about that whole carbon thing. Just don't forget that carbon dioxide is the number one greenhouse gas. What do plants breathe in? carbon dioxide. I, I just had this discussion with my 16-year-old daughter who had to do a speech for a college prep class and the other day on global warming. And I said, Jetta, why didn't you come talk to me? I'll, I'll tell you everything you need to know about it. And I said, here's the number one answer and the number one solution to global warming, better yields. If we as farmers do a better job raising plants, and I'm talking all plants, grasses, trees, uh, what we consider row crops, everything. If we do a better job raising those crops, we pull way more carbon dioxide out and put more, uh, or out of the air, put more oxygen in. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle, and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about fixing soil pH on our show, and we get so many questions about soil pH. So we've got our friend Bill Brush. He's a consultant out in California to talk about this a little bit. Bill, thanks for joining us today. Hey, glad to be here. All right. So when we listen to what Neil Kinsey talks about, when we do some some reading and some research about soil pH, when it's out of balance, it's really just an indicator of what's going on in terms of balance of all the nutrients in the soil. So where do you start looking on a, a soil test just to, to tell, man, here's where I have to fix things in order to get my soil pH in order? Yeah, when when you read almost all the literature, you find that, uh, you know, everyone's trying to hit that magical 6.5 as if that's going to make the soil work better. But but really what that means is it just has a certain amount of hydrogen and has a better chance of having uh, uh, the proper balance. But doesn't mean it is in balance. And the other part of that is, is that that pH is sought because that's where most all of nutrients like to be taken up by the plant is in these a little on the acidic conditions. However, when you look at a, a soil sample and you see something that's below six, uh, you immediately know you have too much hydrogen. So the first thing I look for is where in my base saturation is something missing. It means I'm short of something because I have too much hydrogen. Uh, and conversely, if I'm seven or above, I know I have too much of something because there's no room for any hydrogen to be on there. And I try to find where that is to attack that to move it down. But one thing of pH that not a lot of people put into consideration 
and I think it's probably the most critical of anything we do, which is uh, your water and your water source. Uh, if you're strictly rainfall, you're usually dealing with, with a lower pH, below 7. And so eventually that's what your soil will become, or lower. Uh, if, if you have a very uh, high pH water, then pretty soon that's where your soil is going to become. And you uh, put so much more water on in a year's time than you do any type of chemicals, elements, fertilizers, soil amendments, put them all together. They don't ever approach the amount that you would put into water. Yeah, you're right. It's it's a lot of pounds of water that that get put on. You just think about twenty seven thousand gallons, roughly in a an acre inch of water. Well, that's that's a lot of weight that you're putting out there. We we talk a lot about oh, I put a hundred pounds of fertilizer out or something, and uh, we're putting millions of pounds out there with the water. So it can make a big difference when you've got something like high sodium levels in the water and. And as you mentioned, just in general, high pH water, that can be a challenge. You get a lot of questions with that, and, and you get to work with a lot of growers on this, and especially being in an environment that can be hot and really sunny, you're going to have a lot of evaporation out there too, leaving some things behind on the upper part of that soil. What do you do to balance that out? How do you get things to flush through? Well, uh, the key, and, and talking back to, to Neil Kinsey and Dr. Albrecht and and the like the, the really the key is to get our soils so that they're they're balanced in terms of the amount of calcium we have because calcium basically will will flocculate that soil or basically pull clay particles together to open up pore space and allow uh water to go through it's a lot stronger cation than than uh sodium and so basically it's going to take those spots up and it'll allow areas for sodium to go through but but one of the things I see out in California, a lot of people are saying, well, you've you've got to work on pH uh, and and your water source. Out here, it's not unusual. I mean, it's actually a little on the low side, but just figure about three acre feet or about 36 inches of water uh, is about a million gallons. And uh, if you just do an eight to one or eight pounds per gallon, you're looking at eight million pounds wow. going through our aerobic yeah. zone of six and a half to seven inches. So four times the volume of your soil and water is going through it. And if it's a high pH, we have to work on getting temporary acidities, which is using things like elemental sulfur or ammonium, uh, NH4-based fertilizers. So as they convert to nitrate, they're, they're introducing hydrogen. And, and also, as their ammonium is taken up by uh, plants, which it can be, and it and works really well on the reproductive sense, uh, it also is releasing hydrogen back right along the rhizosphere. So there's several little keys, and it, it's a it's a challenge all the time. Uh, one of the last ways that a lot of people do is really heavily acidify the water out here, or or run into a uh, uh, what do I want to say? They uh, uh, will actually begin to water treat with you know could be things as as uh, heavily you know real. Uh, rough things to work with like sulfuric acid or they might use things that we call sulfur burners to get some acidity back in there and several things to work but but on the other side is that i've worked with some people some good friends of mine that work down in new zealand where they get uh feet of rain not inches of rain you know and it, it's not unusual for them to, in some places to get six feet of rain and uh, one of the ways that we've found is is that using the, the kinsey albrecht model 
you have to over calcium because you are going to strip some calcium on just with acidic rainfall, you know, and uh, it, it can get down. I've had them test their water and we've seen their water down into the low sixes pretty frequently. So it gives you an idea again, with this much water, uh, it's difficult to keep the soils in balance. And particularly if you're, if you're not allowing for that water. You know, thinking about it that way, when you look at, at pH, you've got either too much of something or not enough of something, and, and we just keep making continual adjustments as we farm. I think the big thing, too, that we talk to so many growers, and you probably run into the same thing, Bill, that they get all worked up about a soil test, and oh my goodness, it's going to cost quite a bit of money to get all this turned around in one shot. And we talk to growers about, look, you got to do what you got to do to raise a good crop this year. And yes, if you got a little extra in the budget, you can work on this. Do you, do you run into guys like my brother who would say, you know what, let's just bite the bullet and we'll do it all, all right now, even if we don't make money this year? Or do you have more guys that say, all right, let's let's just feed this crop and then start doing things little by little to get this worked out? You know, I always look at it. what what crop are you growing. Uh, there are some crops out here that we grow some specialty crops with with potential to do as much as you want to do because you're going to be rewarded uh, and you have crops that are, are lower value that you have to say, well, we have to work at it a piece at a time. Uh, your economics of that crop really begin to dictate how much you should probably be doing uh, because you, from year to year, I mean, you know, if you, if you do everything this year and particularly when you get back in the Midwest, and next year is the flood. And so now I not only did I spend all that money last year, I'm not getting planted this year. And by not getting planted, now I, I can't reap the benefits of all that work I did last year. So I'm two years down the road. So I always uh, talk to people. One of my classic things I say to all my clients is that, you know, first I draw it up on the chalkboard here and it's perfect. Everything's in perfect balance, et cetera. And then the first thing we have to do is go out and farm which is a less than perfect condition because of environmental conditions, soil types, uh, prices, you know, commodity prices, all of that boils down into. So you have to do the best. The main thing I always tell my clients is let me tell you what we need to do for sure to get as good a crop as we can. And then if we have anything left over, then we'll work into part of these. But know full, full on that, that these are areas we want to work on to get to the top yield. And we may not be able to get there overnight. Yeah, that's right. It's not an overnight turnaround on a lot of these things. Now, low pH, we can raise pretty quickly. High pH is often a little more time-consuming. takes a little bit of effort to get that to come back down. Talking with Bill Brush, he's a consultant out in California. Bill, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. And good luck here as uh, we get into these good warmer months coming up. <laughs> it's supposed to be 90 by the weekend. Wow, wow. And we're yeah. we're struggling with cold <laughs> conditions at corn planting time here on our farm. So hopefully some of that warmth comes this way soon. You bet. Uh, thanks, thanks, Bill. Guys. You bet. Talking about fixing soil pH on the show today, I like how, how Bill framed that up. If you've got high pH, you've got too much of something, and there just isn't enough room for hydrogen. And if you've got low pH, you have not enough of something, and hydrogen just fills that space. So you're going to displace some hydrogen and put something else on. In many cases, it's calcium on the low pH side. And on the high pH side, you probably have too much magnesium or calcium or sodium, and we've got to work that down to get things back into balance. We'll continue this discussion on fixing soil pH and take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. 
With stronger bean prices ahead, don't let white mold reduce your yield and profits again this year. Contans WG reduces sclerotia in your fields, eliminating white mold at the source. White mold was a major problem in 2019, costing soybean farmers valuable yield potential. As you rotate back into those white mold infected areas this spring, protect yourself by applying Contans. Clean your soils and return lost yield potential to every soybean you plant with Contans WG. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. High-yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent emergence. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. The Germinator Spike Design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction. But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed-to-soil contact. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at farmshopmfg.com. You work for results. That's why the Enlist weed control system gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Weather or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Talking about fixing soil pH, real happy to have Ray Archuleta with us. You probably heard of Ray. Uh, does a lot of work as a, uh, what would you say, Ray? Soil conservationist or what What would you say or soil scientist? How do you like to uh, to be classified? Well, I, actually a little bit of an agronomist and a soil health specialist. I retired from NRCS for about 32 years, so I have my own we have our own consulting company, uh, Understanding Eggs. So I'm still a soil scientist and an agronomist by training and a rancher, by the way. 
<laughs> okay, well, this is great because uh, we've got a number of questions for you. One of them that we've gotten quite a bit, and I said, if we ever have Ray back on the show, I want to ask him this question. We've got growers that have perennially high pH soils, like 8+, plus, yep. and have wondered, okay, I've got high pH soil, and i got a lot of things I need to do in this system, but part of it, we're putting cover crops in. Are there cover crops that do much better in high pH soil, and are there any cover crops that you would say, hey, this would be part of your solution that may help uh, over time start to bring this pH down? Excellent. Uh, good question. Well, high pH is excessive salts. I grew up in the West, and uh, these arid soils have a lot of uh, what we call elemental salts. They raise, they raise pH. And the best way to remediate those high pH soils is carbon, carbon flow. And like what you were alluding, cover crops is one of the best way manures. But grasses, grasses are the best because they uh, pump a lot of carbon into the system. And people forget that organic matter is about 58% carbon. And so once you understand the soil is alive in a living ecosystem, it can regulate its own pH. And soil organisms change pH a whole unit around them. So carbon cover crops are the best way. Even for low pH soils, again, the answer is cover crops because they'll be able to pick up the calciums that have been leached and redeposit to the top. So the best way is uh, stop the tillage and use cover crops and be careful with these hydrogen-based fertilizers like anhydrous ammonia or ammonium-based fertilizers. They can knock calcium off the exchange side on low pH soil. So carbon is the solution for both of those extremes. Yeah, we had a question earlier from a landowner just wondering how to how to forecast for several crops out what kind of potential there was. And, you know, here's one thing. We see optimistic farmers over-apply nitrogen occasionally, and when you do, you're right. You you strip some of that calcium out, and you can create some issues. Yep. How about in terms of soil microbes? When you think about high pH situations, low pH situations, certainly there are microbes that, that thrive in one environment or the other. Are they part yeah. of the solution too, or is this something that, that comes along uh, as we start raising the right things? Oh, they are. I, I That's the part I missed in schooling is the microbes in the plants change everything. They modify, they can modify the whole environment. And let's not forget the fungi. The fungi are very, very powerful. They give off these powerful excretions. And when I took graduate level soil chemistry, I, that wasn't related to, to me very clearly. It's these organisms plus the plants release these powerful uh, enzymes and plants have these gentle acids that they can uh, make all these nutrients available. But once the soil becomes more healthy, pHs will go down, more nutrients will become available. And one of the th biggest problems to our soils throughout the country is that they're carbon depleted. There's just not enough carbon flow to feed these organisms to make all and to do all these things that we want ourselves to be self-healing, self-organizing, and self-regulating, just like the human body. 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and and obviously it's there's so much to it. It's it's a little bit complex, and it's it's something that you just have to be a lifetime learner. That's something my dad always talked about too. Is you just have to be prepared, especially in agriculture, but really in any field, to be a lifelong learner to start putting these things together. And you mentioned Ray, I, I, you didn't catch this in college or in school, and uh, I know no. there's so many things that now now that I realize how much chemistry goes into this, ah, uh, oh, wish I would have paid better attention in those classes <laughs> yeah it was really biochemistry dictates inorganic chemistry i think one of the biggest problems we taught in all of our schools and still being taught in grade school that the soil is not alive it breathes it re reproduces it's a living organism once farmers understand that it changes everything all your management so you're very cautious what you put on that soil so it's a living organism and biochemistry dictates inorganic chemistry and once you get that shift it, it changes everything for you yeah that is great stuff we're, we're talking with ray archuleta here and if you want to find out more about what ray's working on and, and just see some of this in action uh, they've got a great website understandingag.com i would highly recommend you check that yep. out ray thank you so much really appreciate having you on thank you for giving me a call and you have a great day you bet you as well uh, let's head up to Canada. We've got Tom Weir with us right now. He's an agronomist up there. Tom, thanks for joining us today. No problem. All right. So it's interesting. As we talk to uh, farmers in Saskatchewan, it's a whole different battle sometimes that they're fighting. And, and the soil pH question is one that comes up quite often. Uh, that that's why one of the, one of the reasons we're excited to have you on today. Uh, what are you getting for questions on soil pH, and what are you seeing as farmers are are trying to get things back in balance? Well, I guess we we are a little bit different uh, perspectives from a lot of uh, North America, and that our pHs are naturally quite high. Um, in if you draw a line down uh, from about the. Uh, um, Montana, North Dakota border and go north, everything uh, east of that has uh, an inherent high uh, soil pH. And that's because when the soils were glaciated 15,000, 20,000 years ago, there's a uh, quite a big uh, limestone outcrop that starts about at Winnipeg, north of Winnipeg, and goes all the way up to uh, approximately uh, Prince Albert. And when the glaciers went over this, they ground it off and basically limed our soils. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, calcium carbonates in our soils. We also have big pieces of limestone that were uh, deposited too. But because of that, our soils are, are running at, oh, from, you uh, know, in, in the lower part of the landscape, maybe seven, seven, Five up to at the top of the uh, landscape uh, eight five. So we got a, a bit of a different uh, perspective. So a lot of the things that we're doing um, using nitrogen fertilizers, using sulfur fertilizers, are, are um, moving us maybe back to, uh, towards a more desired uh, pH. 
You know, you mentioned, you mentioned that. that uh, I think that's an important thing too, Tom. We get a lot of questions so far. What are these little white stones that are that are in my soil? And you're exactly right. We've we've had limed soils and over limed soils, and and I know some farmers that have actually uh, put lime on themselves and have overdone it, have run into the same situation or kind of caused that same situation. But yeah, there's a lot of free lime out there, and that's a challenge. Yeah, exactly. And, and so because of that, I mean, it, our soils are, are highly buffered. So in order to move the pH, um, we need a whole bunch of, uh, of product to, to move it. So, uh, you know, if we, if we went on with a, say, an elemental sulfur um, application to try and lower the pH, the amount that we'd have to put on to get any appreciable movement is, is pretty high. Uh, and that's simply, I mean, you you put some acid on the soil profile and, and you can, it just bubbles away because of all the, all the uh, carbonates that are in our, in our soil. Yeah, it's a whole different challenge, and, and that's what makes it fun talking to farmers all over and kind of comparing notes, what's working here, what's working there. And uh, we're talking with Tom Weir, who's an agronomist up in Saskatchewan. And, yeah, just a whole different story when you've got really everyone's soils are starting out from a high side and based on the parent material in that soil. Tom, thank you so much for joining us. You don't have a whole lot of time today, but we do really appreciate having you on and, and opening up that end of the discussion for us, too. Good luck here heading into the spring. Okay, thank you. We're talking about soil pH on our show today and taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back after this. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid, 
Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. A history of success means proven performance. But let's call performance what it is. Profitability. And boosting yours, no matter what the season brings, is the goal of DeKalb brand corn. Backed by exclusive genetics, whole farm solutions, and unmatched dealer support. Let nothing shake your perseverance. Ask your dealer how DeKalb brand corn can help you realize a future of performance. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today. We're talking about fixing soil pH. Let's get into just a few more details. Let's start with the high side. If you have a high soil pH, most likely the reason why your pH is high is one of these five things. Number one, poor drainage. Just simply fix that with tile and then the excesses are going to flush out and now you're in good shape. Your pH comes back down. Topsoil has disappeared. <laughs> okay, we're, uh, let's see. We, this came up a little bit earlier in the show uh, with Tom Weir that, you know what, a lot of the parent material through much of the northern part of the United States and then into southern Canada, there's limestone in there. So what I'm talking about here, and when I say, say topsoil has disappeared, if your subsoil has all this limestone, just like a lot of ours does, well, you know what? When your topsoil washes down the hill, all you're left with is subsoil, and you start farming subsoil, and you're not going to have a whole lot of fun the first few years because the pH is going to be 8 probably. How you fix that is got to build new topsoil. And you might say, well, I don't have 100 years to build my new topsoil. But look, I'm not saying build 3 feet of topsoil, but what I'm talking about is start taking the steps toward that by reducing tillage, planting crops with lots of roots, use manure, use cover crops, use biological products. There are things that can be done. You will build new topsoil. You will, over time, lower your soil pH. All right, next thing, poor irrigation water quality. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Uh, high magnesium. Did you know that magnesium raises soil pH? roughly 1.6 to 1 compared to calcium. That's a big deal. So if you have high magnesium levels, that probably means you have high pH levels. And then the fifth thing, high sodium. Sodium raises pH roughly 4 to 1 compared to calcium. If you have an excess of sodium, you've got a sodic soil, your pH is going to be high, and you got trouble. Because moving forward, if you don't do something to correct that, Things are only going to get worse, and pretty soon your ground's going to be hard as a rock and dead. So you got to work on getting that high, high sodium thing corrected. So anyway, I'll, I'll say this. Fixing low pH is easy. You put lime on, within a couple of years, you've got your pH up. You're good to go. Fixing high soil pH is not that simple. Now, we'll, we can talk about elemental sulfur, and we'll get to that in a second here. But typically, fixing high pH 
takes lots of time. Don't get too worried about it. Don't get that frustrated with it. You can still raise a good crop in high soil pH, but you got to work on getting your nutrients in balance. The odds are very high that your soil pH is excessive just because some nutrients are out of balance. You fix those imbalances and you can do that almost immediately and then you're going to start raising a better crop and then over a long period of time your pH will come down. So what my message here is is hope. You don't have to say well I got a high pH there's nothing I can do and it's a disaster and I'm never going to raise a good crop. No you can raise a good crop. And you definitely can raise a better crop than you're raising today. It just it it does take a little bit of work. Here's the other thing I want you to think about. The more healthy roots plants produce, the more organic acids they release. Okay, a lot of people will call these organic acids chelating agents and they will lower your soil pH. So you just get more roots growing in there and you will have more acid in there. You will lower that pH over a period of time. Okay, let's talk about sulfur just a little bit. Why does elemental sulfur lower pH? Oh, and by the way, if people tell you elemental sulfur doesn't lower pH, look, elemental sulfur can lower pH, but here's the number one thing you got to know. You got to have good drainage because we, we, we're going to have stuff that needs to get flushed out of that soil, most likely, when we're using this elemental sulfur. And also, you have to have good air levels in that soil because the way that elemental sulfur properly breaks down is bacteria will convert it over okay so there is bacteria in the soil that will combine with that sulfur plus the air and the water that's in that soil and all together they're going to form sulfuric acid okay hydrogen sulfate if you if the drainage is poor and you use elemental sulfur you're going to form hydrogen sulfide not hydrogen sulfate you'll form hydrogen sulfide and your soil is going to smell like rotten eggs and you're not going to help yourself at all so the biggest thing that you want to look at is your entire soil test and find out all right I got high pH but let's try to figure out why if you already have high sulfur levels in that soil then that tells me almost immediately drainage is the biggest issue just fix the drainage when that sulfur goes out of there because sulfur when it converts over to sulfate sulfate is leachable alright so if you have decent drainage that sulfate's gonna leach out of that soil so many times I have seen soil tests come in and I see a thousand parts per million of sulfur or two thousand parts per million of sulfur I mean, if you have that, I hope you don't, but if you do, please understand, your issue number one is drainage. So you can spend all the money in the world on all these other things that people, all these concoctions people tell you to use for high soil pH, but nothing is going to change your soil pH like putting drain tile out there would. you got to be able to flush out that excess of sulfur that's sitting there in your soil. Again, sulfate's leachable. So is nitrate, so is boron. So when we see high levels of nitrate, sulfate, and boron in the soil, we go, yeah, you have a drainage problem. you got to fix that. And then peop some people will say, well, I, I don't have anywhere to drain to. Look, there's always somewhere to drain to. And if there isn't, sell the ground because it's, it's a losing battle. If you can't solve those excesses, what are you going to do? I, I don't know as an agronomist. I, I, I'd sell the ground because I would like to tile it. If you feel like you can't tile it, I'd sell it. And I'm just, I'm being blunt, okay? But that's what I would do.
Here's the next thing. With elemental sulfur and with lime, the number one factor you're looking for is the fineness of that material. The smaller the particle size, the faster you're going to have your conversion happen, and the more effective it's going to be. So when you pick out a lime, you're looking for lime fineness. You want everything, if possible, to go through a 100 mesh screen. Okay, very, very, very small. If you get that, if you are to find that, that would be ideal. Now you got something that's really awesome. Same thing with elemental sulfur. You want a very, very, very fine material. If you get that, great. Now you're in good shape. Okay, with both lime and sulfur, what we're after is for that to be as soluble as possible, and that starts with that particle size. So just think about an ice cube, for example. If you've got crushed ice or cubed ice, which one breaks down faster? Well, obviously the crushed ice does. Okay, so we want smaller particle size, then you'll have everything changing sooner. Okay, so that, that's the biggest thing I would say. Now, there's one last thing I want to talk about on the low pH side. Because a lot of people will say, well, I have all this variability through my field. How in the world did I get some pHs down in the fours or even fives? How did it get that low? Because it's not naturally that low. Well, I'm going to agree with you. In a lot of cases, it's not naturally that low, especially in Canada or or at least southern Canada where they're raising a lot of, uh, of, uh, of crops. And then same thing with the northern United States. We don't typically have pHs down in the fours when you break ground. Okay, so how did it get low? I just want you to think about this. How did we all used to put fertilizer on? We just put a certain rate on, we broadcast it across the field, and we're done. So think about nitrogen. What happens when you put nitrogen out there? If you've got excess, where does it go? Well, I think we all know, unfortunately, nitrate is leachable. When nitrate goes out of that soil, it's going to turn to nitric acid, a lot of it, and it's going to strip calcium out. When you're stripping calcium out and you're, you end up, in effect, adding hydrogen to that soil in a lot of cases, what are you doing? You're lowering that pH. Now, if you have high pH, I don't want you to take that as a license to go throw thousands of pounds of nitrogen out there in excess, leach stuff out of the ground, and all of a sudden you go, oh, okay, I fixed my pH. Well, yes, but you, you cause some environmental issues at the same time. All I'm saying here is, this is a big reason why there's so much variability in fields because not the uh, there are many areas of your field that didn't probably need the high rate of nitrogen you may have put on at one point and I know that's certainly the case for us we'd say all right what's our yield goal 150 okay we'll throw 150 pounds of nitrogen out there are other areas that yielded 100 okay we put on a lot excess we lowered the pH that's a problem all right we're going to get back to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag right after this when it comes to leading herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Cheetah, a high-quality glufosinate herbicide made right here in the USA. Now for use on a wide variety of crops with glufosinate-resistant traits, including Enlist crops. Its novel mode of action will manage existing or emerging herbicide resistance and provide fast, effective results. This means you can focus more on profitability and less on weeds. New Farm and Cheetah Herbicide, here to help. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. 
New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for RLX Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We've been talking about fixing soil pH, but we're going to get back to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, you ready for some rapid-fire questions here? Fire away. All right, this one comes from, well, John from Minnesota has got two questions. First of all, he said, underseeding some red clover into my oats, wondering if I spray buckthroll on the oats as I normally do, will I kill the red clover or will the red clover survive? The red clover will most likely survive. Now, it uh, buckthorn is not technically labeled on red clover as a crop, but just understand if you are considering red clover a weed, buckthorn is not going to kill it. Okay, very good. And John's other question, he said, also have a grass and alfalfa mix. And I've got some black nightshade out there. We don't graze the ground, but we do cut and bale the hay for horses. Wondering what will take that black nightshade out. Okay, so there are three products that I can think of. Buckthorn would be one, and that's probably going to be just that's probably going to be the way to go. Simply because you're not looking at any soil residual, and I don't think you'll have to double check. I don't remember what the the restriction is for pre-harvest for horses, but I don't think it's super long. Uh, there's also Raptor and Pursuit that would not 
uh, it all depends on the kind of grass that you, that you've got. Um, it, it would probably ding up your grass pretty good if you were just talking alfalfa, let's say. So forgetting about the grass, let's say all you had out there is alfalfa, I would usually recommend either Raptor or Pursuit because they have good residual in the soil on Black Nightshade, but unfortunately they're going to ding up your grass a little bit. So yeah, Buckteril is probably the way to go. All right, this one comes from Bob. He said, I am going to be planting Milo in mid-July that will be basically a duck habitat in the fall. But I'd like to have a good stand, and I've had trouble with smartweed and some other broadleaf weeds out there that I need to control for that Milo to do well. I'm wondering about combining Gramoxone in. What would you think about Gramoxone if I sprayed it a week or two weeks ahead of when I was going to put that Milo in to try to burn everything down? Yeah, you can use Gramoxone up until the day before the Milo emerges from the ground, I believe is on the label. So Gramoxone doesn't really have any soil activity. It's going to hurt anything. So anyway, yes, you can absolutely use Gramoxone as a burn down if you would like to. Okay, got this one from Doug, and he is in Ontario. Doug said, I want to ask specifically about the field that's labeled 5 Heenan. And there's three different types of tests there that are run by ANL Labs up in Ontario. So looking to address low phosphorus this spring with a more aggressive build program. Also would like to get a compost and elemental sulfur mix spread on this field prior to planting. I'm hoping to get applicators to apply either lime or gypsum to address some low calcium and magnesium uh, or low calcium to magnesium ratio, low calcium overall. Okay, so first of all, I would just say I'm much more interested in the gypsum than I am the lime because the lowest pH I see here is 6.2 in all and your it, fields, and, it, and on yeah. that one in particular, it's 7.1. And it looks like one sample per field, and that makes us very nervous about right. ever trying to adjust soil pH because that varies so much throughout the field oftentimes. Yes, but with your phosphorus levels, I get it. Uh, it looks like depending on the test you had run 15 or 20 parts per million is all so that's very very low um, beyond that I guess I really question how ANL is running your samples because in a 7.1 pH you should have zero hydrogen and they're showing 8.7 percent hydrogen so I don't understand that doesn't make sense to me that's not how we typically run run tests here in the United States uh, but yeah, it, it looks to me like phosphorus is one of your biggest limiting factors. Your potassium, even though it says very high, don't get misled by that. It says 302 parts per million. Because you have so much magnesium and so much calcium in that soil, you're actually on the low side for potassium. So they are incorrect when they tell you you're very high. You are not. I would say you are just a little bit low on potassium as well. So don't... don't, don't uh, stop applying potassium. I'm not saying you have to go overboard, but don't stop applying it. The other thing is when I look at micronutrients, I see you're at 1.3 parts per million on zinc. So that's really, really low. Uh, if you're going to be putting a bunch of phosphorus on, don't forget about the zinc. We ran into this problem ourselves on our farm where we said, oh, let's fix our phosphorus. So we did, did fix our phosphorus with some big rates. And that was great, except for the fact we forgot all about zinc. <laughs> and then we realized, oh, no. Our, our phosphorus to zinc ratio is off, and now our yields aren't getting corrected. you got to fix the zinc at the same time you're fixing the phosphorus, and the zinc's obviously cheap compared to phosphorus, so just don't forget about that one either. 
Okay. Uh, fertilizer application question here from Joel. He's got two different fields, and he's got a couple of questions. So let's see. I can't tell which field you've got there. 41? I don't know. Mm. Well, this anyway. One says the same. Okay, so on one of the fields, I'm working on getting drainage fixed. But in the meantime, I'm wondering, could I band elemental sulfur in a low, low potassium product, such as sulfate of potash, with the seed? We're already putting phosphorus in furrow as a pop-up. Uh, sulfur in the furrow is, is risky. Yep. I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Yes. Yep. So there are a lot of people that will talk about potassium sulfate as that was going to, going to have fewer salting issues than potash. But I, I in the furrow, we, we just don't love it. But, yeah, your potassium is really low. And here's the other thing. We were talking on the show today about using elemental sulfur to lower soil pH, and that's great, except for the fact that we really believe your – you're, you have a drainage issue. Your salt levels are high. Your pH is high. I mean, it just looks to us like you may need to make sure you've got more air in that soil before you go fixing or trying to fix your pH with elemental sulfur. So, yeah, I, I would really work on just trying to get your soil in balance overall. There are a lot of things here that we look at that are low. For example, zinc, uh, your sulfur certainly is not high. And then phosphorus and potassium definitely okay we got a couple of soil tests here this one says the cec is 18 i'm not sure what that one is but the second question here i'm wondering could i strip till uh, in a cornfield strip till and band 120 85 65 with 50 sulfur a week ahead of planting we will pre-irrigate everything here how deep that's a great question. It doesn't, doesn't say how deep the strip okay. till is going to be. All right, let's put it this way. If you strip till near the seed, no, that's not going to work very well. If you strip till a few inches below the seed, yes, it'll be just fine. If you strip till off to the side even a little bit, fine. So you got to keep it away from the seed at least a little bit, but you've got heavy soil. Uh, Darren said that one was 18 CEC. The one I'm looking at is 23 CEC. So just be careful. Uh, so you're putting a lot of stuff on. It's fine as long as you get it far enough away from the seed. All right, thanks for the questions. We appreciate that, Joel. Get this from Brian, and he said, you guys were talking about manure and micronutrients and other things that are also in the manure. On our fields that have a regular manure application, we have never had a need to add additional micros. Awesome. Well, that's that's cool, Brian. I think the big thing that we suggest to every farmer is just make sure you're testing for them. Right. We see so many tests come in where farmers haven't even looked. They're just assuming that the manure has everything they need. So make sure you're looking at that to see where you're at. I'll tell you a quick story from about... I don't know, three, four years ago, we had a farmer who came to our soils clinics, learned how to read a soil test, looked at his soil tests, and went, wow, I got everything because I've been loading up with manure except for manganese. That's all he bought that spring where he left the untreated check, 50 bushel difference. He gained 50 bushels by putting manganese out there. So he identified that that one was short. And I don't know if anything is short on your farm or not, but all we're saying here is, yes, make sure you're testing the soil and test the manure and see what your crop is removing as well. All right. Uh, this is from Marty in North Carolina. What herbicide do you recommend for dandelion control in a tall fescue hayfield? Usually for dandelions in hayfield, grass hayfields, we're talking about Freelix. That's the new 2,4-D. There are certainly other products out there, but that what if, is what if pretty distinct, What if distinct was labeled? Would that be a huge step up? Probably is labeled. 
probably would be just a little bit better, yes. But it also would cost maybe just a little more money. Not a lot, but a little bit. Also, we like the Freelex just because it doesn't have the vapor pressure that Dicamba or old 2,4-D do. So, again, Freelex is the new 2,4-D choline. We've seen almost no volatility out of that thing, and we've been using it for like six years now. It's awesome. All right. Thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that. Yeah, it's fun when we get to talk about soil pH. We get a number of soil pH questions that come through, but but you can see we had a wide variety of other questions. And uh, this time of year, the questions are coming, and we really enjoy it because it helps everybody else. A lot of other folks facing some of the same issues. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.